Is everybody ready? Let's get rolling. This is The Big Show on 97.5, 1280 The Zone in the Zone Sports Network. Big Show, Gordon Monson, Jake Scott, 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. Hoping to talk to uh, David Locke coming up here momentarily. Uh, David Locke, uh, his interview brought to you by our friends at Murdoch Hyundai. During the month of May, get 0% for 84 months plus no payments until January of 2021 with the 2020 Elantra or Tucson Murdoch Hyundai in Linden and Murray. We know the folks at Murdoch very, very well, Gordon. Uh, They'll take great care of you, and we're hoping to talk to David Locke coming up here soon. That's been my experience there. Yeah, good people. No doubt about it. Always uh, have taken great care of uh, of our listeners. It'll be fun to talk uh, some jazz basketball with David Locke. Uh, also, uh, I know David has been watching the uh, D- Michael Jordan docuseries like the rest of us, uh, Gordon, and has, uh, has uh, many opinions on that as well. So lots of stuff yeah. to cover um, with David. And the jazz are, are back working out. Uh, Gordon, we have not really seen names of who's been in the facility, and we know that there's uber precautions going on, you know, only one-on-one activity and those sorts of things. But uh, I, I wonder how much work they're able to get in under the circumstances. Why, why, why the secrecy around who's, uh, who's in there practicing? Um, I don't know, other than maybe they don't want to violate some privacy on who can get back and who can't. I'm, I'm not huh. sure, actually, okay. uh, Gordon. Yeah, I didn't know. Uh, have I you don't... seen reports of specific players uh, across the league? Because I have not. No, I now, I might have and just I... missed it. Yeah, I, I just wondered. It's not like I'm burning to find out who. Uh, I imagine at this point in time that most of the guys, every guy who has access to any kind of facility is probably working out as best he can. Now, the Jazz have been doing the viral thing, right? They've been working the out. The Zoom stuff, uh, yeah, yeah. The not Zoom, not yeah. the viral stuff. That's, well, let's whatever. be, very, let's be yeah. very careful with our words there. Thank you. Appreciate the correction. <laughs> but anyway, uh, yeah. So the guys are trying to, I guess I was trying to say virtual. But, I think so. Jeez. Uh, oh, Oh man! Let's, okay, let's get out of this print special guest <laughs> that's, line. That's that's probably worse than your Pro Bowler. Yeah, that stumble. wasn't good. Uh, they make it safe and easy to get what you need online. Visit Sprint.com for online services and local store availability. Of course, he's the radio voice of the Utah Jazz. He's the one and only David Locke. Hello, David. How are you? Happy Wednesday. I'm good. What just happened? I don't know, Gordon. Gordon was going for virtual, and it came out viral, which just has a total different meaning in today's. Uh, those, those, that uh, is that is accurate. Yes, that is very accurate. That's one thing you can count on around here: that if you make a mistake, it's not going to get smoothed over, right, Jake? <laughs> no, no, it's going to get played over and over again. Oh, speaking of that, David, uh, not to start this, this interview off too randomly, but uh, a couple of months ago, we played the audio of you getting hit with the t-shirt cannon for Gordon. And of course, oh. it's, it's a classic bit of audio. It's unbelievable. It makes me smile every time. But will you tell that story from your perspective? Oh, I mean, my stand when I'm broadcasting. Um, so therefore, um, I had a chair behind me, which acted as the key component. I had my head down looking at my computer 
out of my proprioception, I noticed that something was coming at me, and as I looked up, it hit me square in the forehead, and it was a T-shirt out of the cannon gun, and I got knocked back and over the back of my chair and down. It's just, you know, when you broadcast, and if you added up uh, how many minutes of jazz basketball you've broadcast over the years, David, you know, it, it it's infinite, right? And and the things that you've seen during those broadcasts, experienced or whatever, I'm sure you could write a book, but that one is hilarious. One in a million shot with the T-shirt cannon. Yeah, until I realized how many other times it's been really, like, close to me. So now I'm just scared of it. Now, Now I have, you know... I truly actually have like uh, um, a little bit of a complex. Playing playing defense, I like it. Yeah. So, David, uh, based on what you've the information you've heard and what you've read, and Adam Silver has indicated some degree of optimism. Where are you on the chances that uh, the NBA will have a postseason? Um, I'm been very optimistic the whole time. Um, I actually kind of think I'm exactly where I've always been, uh, which for those who did not hear it is that the first thing is that the NBA has a tremendous amount of runway. Um, it's getting a little smaller, but the runway is based on the fact that the 2021, 2020, 21 season will not start until mid to late December. And so therefore you don't need to finish this season until late September. Um, maybe even later than that, if you really have to which means you don't have to start it until mid-July, which means you don't have to get into camp until late June. Um, And I think everything is pointing toward us playing some sort of basketball in July. Uh, I I think all three sports will work to get – there's not going to be a lone ranger out here, right? Gary Bettman and um, Rob Manfeld and Adam Silver are going to work together. I think we're going to see all three sports get launched – sometime in July in, in similar and different manners. It's interesting the different models of what works for each place. Um, I'm hearing the NHL uh, and it's been reported, but I've also heard it from people that the NHL will be, will be in four locations. It sounds like basketball will probably be in one or two. And then Major League Baseball uniquely is looking to try to do it in their actual stadiums in the cities in which they can even without fans. And then a team like Toronto that most definitely probably cannot um, will then do it in Florida or one of their spring training sites as Arizona and Florida open up. So I think we're going to see all three sports here in, in July, uh, and uh, it'll be a good six weeks for us to wait for that, but you know, maybe some camps open and some things like that and get us revved up. You know, one uh, good news, piece of good news for the NBA, or so it would seem to me, David, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like the the NBA and the NBA Players Association seem to be rowing in the in the same direction and are both eager to uh, to get some sort of finality uh, to this season. And we're not necessarily seeing the same thing in Major League Baseball or Major League Soccer, for that matter. Why do you think it is that the NBA and the PA are, are getting along so well at the moment? Um. That's a good question. It might just be because we're finishing a current season, whereas the Major League Baseball is starting a new one, and that might have some difference. Major League Baseball is about to have a major, major, major labor dispute in the middle of a pandemic, which is probably not prudent. Um, and I don't know the MLS story on what's going on there. Um, MLS is hard, though. They don't have a big TV contracts, right. so they, you know, it's hard for them to exist at the same AHL just canceled the rest of their season because they don't have a TV contract, so there's no need to play. Um, so I don't know the MLS story on it. 
Um, but they're I, you know, they're I think, arguing over a twenty percent haircut for players. It's it's similar to baseball. Well, baseball is different. Baseball's argument is that the owners presented a revenue share, right? right. And baseball has pride and joy as a union is that they have never ever given up a revenue share and been victimized to a sal- by a salary cap. That is the Marvin all the way back to Marvin Miller and everything about the players union that is their pride and joy is that they have never allowed a revenue share and so therefore they've never had a salary cap and the owners are trying to use this as an opportunity to present a revenue share um, at 50-50, and even the tricky part about it is Jeff Passan's math on ESPN led you to believe that that 50-50 might actually even be better than what they would get otherwise, um, but it's solely because they want to start the precedent of doing that, and the players' union just does not. That's their pride and joy, is that they have, do not have a revenue share and do not have a salary cap. Uh, I saw that uh, the uh, that MLB and the Players Association have agreed upon uh, for this season only uh, universal designated hitter uh, adaptation. And wondering uh, what your thoughts are on the DH. Uh, if my dad, I'm going to go back to my father, the the, the brightest man I know. Um, my father always said, if there's a part of a sporting event in which you get up to go to the bathroom or you leave the room as you're watching on television to get something else done, they should get rid of it. And when the pitcher comes to hit is when you go to concessions. So they should get rid of it. I like it. David Locke with us here on 97.5 and 1280 The Zone. And David, I want to talk to you about the uh, Michael Jordan docu-series. And the last couple of episodes went over his relationship with his teammates. And I, it's interesting the lenses that people are watching thing, this thing through. But uh, one of the lenses a lot of people seems to be going with is, is excusing bad behavior just because the ends justified the means. What do you think about Michael Jordan, the teammate? So Michael Jordan's the greatest player to ever play the game. Like, could have he been the greatest player to ever play the game and not just an absolute jerk? Like, like why does one have to be the other? You know, ESPN has ranked Magic as the fifth best player of all time. We've never heard stories of Magic's like the worst teammate ever in the history of the world. LeBron's tough. I was on a call with Matthew Delvadova who made a really fascinating comment about playing with LeBron in which he talked about you knew that you were – a vehicle to his legacy, like playing with a player of that nature. You know everything you're doing is going to impact his long-term legacy, and, and, and you're aware of that. It makes me believe maybe LeBron lets you know that you're going to be aware of that a little bit too. Um, I just don't buy this narrative that like you have to be the biggest jerk on the planet to be a champion. I just – one, I don't think it's worth it, frankly. Two, I don't buy it. And the t- most telling thing to me – is we're going to finish a 10-hour documentary without anyone ever being recognized as Michael Jordan's friend other than maybe Ahmad Rashad. <laughs> but the two other people that are like in Jordan's life are his father and his driver. But like there's no one else in this thing that actually likes, like seems to like him. Jed Boosler and... Like, Will Purdue are pretty open about, like, what he was like as a teammate, right? Steve Kerr's polite because Steve Kerr's in the game still and understands how to do it. But it's pretty clear 
of what he is and how he treats everyone. And that's like in all aspects of life. You know, I wrote a column about this, David, and it included some quotes from people who have other attitudes about winning and winning championships. And one of them was John Wooden. And he, I think he knows a thing or two about winning titles. And he said something really profound to me. It was a quote he, he told me probably, oh, man, I don't know, maybe 10 years ago. I don't I don't remember exactly when it was uh, before he passed away, obviously. I think it was when he was 89 and he passed away at 99. But anyway, uh, he said that his definition of winning was doing everything you can possibly do to make yourself as good as you can make yourself. And he said the peace of mind that comes with that. Now, when I think of Michael Jordan, I'm not sure I see or sense peace of mind. It's almost as though his appetite is so voracious as far as winning and dominating and being the alpha dog in the room transcends basketball into every part of life. And I'm not sure that coincides with peace of mind. David Halberstam's book on Michael Jordan had two stories that, like, I think tell you what you like. So one, Jordan used to choose where training camp is. And, you know, and I asked Phil, like, you know, Phil asked him, like, where do you want training camp? And the answer was, I don't care. There has to be a ping pong table. And the reason was because Horace Grant beat him in ping pong. So Michael hired a ping pong coach so that Michael could destroy Horace the next training camp in ping pong. Brad Sellers was a unique guy, got drafted by the Bulls. He was a rookie. He was like seven feet tall, long, skinny kid, had some like knee problems. So he liked to get his work done by cycling. And he would go on like these long bike rides. And Michael would take it as an insult that he would go on a bike ride longer than what, you know, and Michael wasn't going on a bike ride. So then Michael would start riding to ride longer than Brad Sellers. Almost a sickness. Well, I mean, I, I did I, was I on this show when I told my Scotty Pippen, Michael Jordan puzzle story from inside the Bulls locker room at the Delta Center or no. then Delta Center? No, tell us. All right, so... Let me just start this story by saying this happened in 1998, and it's 2020, and I'm getting old, and some of my memory doesn't always feel like it's exactly right and makes me nervous to tell old stories because I think, you know, if you've studied memory, it's not always great. So there's pieces of the story that I'm sure over 20-some-odd years have become a little bit of a wives' tale and some things like that. But there was the old Cottonwood Mall, and Jordan went out with his bodyguards and people of the old Cottonwood Mall or the Crossroads Mall, the one downtown. And at the time, those puzzle, those kind of like puzzles, which had like interlinked um, – do you understand what I'm saying? Like, and, you, and the whole puzzle was to undo the interlinking of the things, and then it becomes. Do you remember those kind of things? Right. You know what I'm talking yeah. about? Uh huh. They weren't like jigsaw puzzles. They were those kind of whatever. So he went to some store. The crowds got too big. He went back. He sent his body. Told his bodyguard to buy him these puzzles, and he came back and bought like the four or five puzzles. And then the, the, Michael's like, "No, no, we need two of every one of them because Michael can't just do the puzzle. He needs someone to compete with 
to do the puzzle. So they get this is Jazz Bulls. I think it's the year Pippen's come back off the trade deadline, trade thing. And so they're sitting down. This is a huge game, right? There's a rematch of the finals. It's the whole deal. And Jordan hands Pippen a puzzle pregame. The media's in the room and says, all right, ready, set, go. And they race, and Pippen wins. And so Jordan pulls out another two puzzles and gives them to him. And now, and Pippen wins again, and now they're now Jordan's pissed, and they hands him a third set of the puzzles, and they do it again, and Pippen wins, and they get to, he hands him another one, and Pippen calls over the bodyguard and says, you know, like how many are there of these? And I think you know he says either like this is the last one, or there's one more. And Pippen, we're all scared of Jordan because now he's mad. So Pippen now circles as the media kind of circle around him, and Pippen's not trying anymore. Pippen's going to let Jordan win because it's getting like close to game time. No one's warmed up. He's like. You know, like there's a game to be played tonight and Jordan and Pippen. So Pippen loses and Jordan pops up. I win. Pippen's like, all right, let's go get ready. And Jordan gets in his face. You always beep and crack. You beep and beep. You're a loser. I always destroy you. And I always beat you. You know, something of that sort. Like I remember just being like, oh my gosh. And like, that's who he was like. And so maybe in his mind, like he did, he broke him. He knows Scott, he didn't try, or maybe he didn't try in the first three. I don't know. But that was like the end result to his teammate, just getting in his face and beep this and beep that. And it was incredible. I'll never forget it. Now I might've forgotten pieces of it, but I wouldn't forget it actually. Yeah, that's, I can't imagine that I've made up that entire story in my brain. I'm pretty certain I experienced that. <laughs> So, David, what are you anticipating in, in Episodes 9 and 10 and uh, the Jazz's role in this? Do you think we'll see respect out of the uh, the team that Jordan conquered uh, in 98? Uh, or do you expect uh, a glorification of Michael with little credit given? What do you, what do you anticipate? Um, I mean, I'm sure that he'll be outraged that Carl Malone won two MVPs, right? Like, that's been yeah. every single slight that there possibly could be, and I'm pretty certain we're going to hear about it. And I, I'd be curious. I was talking with Dave Fox for Channel 2 last night. Do you, I work, My memory on that first NBA Finals is that Carl is uncomfortable with the fact that he's won the MVP. That the pressure on Carl to try to outplay Michael because he's the MVP was a part of that series. Do you agree? Do you agree with me on that? I agree with you 100%. Um, and so I don't know if that'll be portrayed or not, or I'd be curious to see, um, you know, I'd be curious to see what they, um, how they portray that. But I think, you know, that was, to me, that was part of that final was, was Michael and, um, and that pressure. And that's also when Scotty Pippen walks by Carl and tells him that mailman doesn't deliver on a Sunday and he misses a bunch of free throws. Right. Right. So I'm I'm sure that I'm sure that comes in, um, and the, but I but I think the larger it's it'll be interesting to see how much the Jazz play in it because the larger story is obviously you know that they're coming to an end. Um, the other memory that I have, you probably have it as well, is because you were there also um, was Game Five in Chicago of the ninety eight finals, which is the last dance, the Bulls are up three games to one. And I'm going to try to pull up, if I can find this, what the score was. But the Bulls are up three games to one, and we go to the fourth quarter of game five in Chicago. And they play the Green Day time of our lives 
story. The Jazz have just outscored the Bulls 29-19 in the third. And we're, uh, I think the Jazz are up four heading to the fourth. But they've pre, you know, they're so convinced they're going to win the title that they're actually start doing like the coronation of this has been the time of our lives, like graduation song with this big highlight video going into the fourth quarter because it's kind of their last long extended break chance to pay tribute to this team. And that's what they do in to open up the fourth quarter in the arena. My memory of uh, that. And, I, and, and I'm pretty certain they're not going to talk about how Michael went one for seven in that fourth quarter. That, that My memory of that game, David, is that was the most unexpected win in the history of Jazz basketball. That was a game the Jazz could not win, and they won it. It was, it was unbelievable. I remember walking around the arena and walking out that night going kind of like Jack Buck. I can't believe what I just saw because you're right. The entire arena was ready to celebrate and the entire town was ready to celebrate. And I'll be daggone if the spirit of Jerry Sloan didn't take over his team that night. And I saw well, that team fight in a way that I had never seen before. Well, game, if we recall game three is a, catastrophic disaster, right? It's yes. maybe the worst performance by any team in the history of the NBA Finals. The, with, their, they, with five minutes left in Game 4, they take the lead. 70-69. to 69. And if I remember correctly, they have like two field goals the rest of the way while it matters. Yeah. And one's by Hornacek and one's by Maybe both are by Hornacek or maybe Chris Morris. I mean, I hate to go back to this, but the mailman does not score in the final five minutes of that game until there's like nine seconds left. It's over. Like they're down by eight and he scores with like six seconds left. I'm doing this off the top of my head, so I could be slightly wrong. But they, like they, they had, like we don't talk about that game four at all. I mean, the Jazz were really a better team than the Bulls in that final series, that final year, and they take the lead with five minutes left by one, and, you know, Pippen's on his last legs, and, you know, they they have it. Like, I think Jordan scores like eight points, ten points, eleven points in that final five minutes or something like that, while Stockton and Malone don't score. I mean, that's my memory is both Stockton and Malone don't score in the final five minutes of game four, like it's, it's just awful, right? Like they win game four, they're tied two two and they've got two more coming at home. Like they're going to win it. And you're right. They go to game five and there's, they've put out the worst performance in the history of the NBA finals. Their two stars have a signature moment on the road. that It's going to take to win it. And neither of them score in the final five minutes. There's, no chance they're showing up for game five and they prove what they proved time and time and time again in their careers, which is they will always fight. And mailman was unbelievable in game five. I think he had what 39 and 20 or something like that. I think 40, it wasn't 40, but it might not have been 20 rebounds. I think I might be exaggerating, but I think he had 39 and 14 or something insane 
Um, in that game, I think Stockton was pretty darn good as well. But and then and, and they win that. They don't win that one. That one's close. Like I mean, to your point, sorry, I'm just babbling because I'm kind of running through the memory bank. That one is. Um, that one's pretty close down the stretch, if I remember correctly. Like I, I think if I were we're ahead most of the way, and I think lead it by you know five six, five or six late. Like it's not a buzzer beat or anything like that. But it got it gets a. Trying to remember, I can't quite remember, but I mean, I think we're up five or six down late. But there's some big plays in that one, and and then sorry to keep out, but what I also remember is all the fans were around the United Center to celebrate the Bulls championship. And they didn't get a Bulls championship, so they went after our bus. I was on the, I was with the team, and as we were driving out, I think we had two or three buses. The fans were fans went after the bus and were like rocking our bus as it was driving, and like I remember people yelling at the driver, "Just drive, just drive." So. Um, kind of crazy stuff. Another thing I remember real quick about that series in game two, after the Jazz had won game one, they had an opportunity to go up two zip in that oh, series. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And they, they lost that game, if I remember right, by about four points. But down the stretch, Carmelone ended up five of 16 or something like that from the floor, and he didn't score down the stretch. And I remember thinking, man, okay, that's the difference, uh, what we're dealing with here. You got Jordan over there who, who, who cannot uh, allow this thing to go the other way. And, and Carl Malone did allow it to go against his team. And that's what set up Game 5, another thing that set up that Game 5 performance that was so remarkable. It was like, wait a minute, if you can play like that in Game 5, why couldn't you play like that in Game 2? Or game three. I, and I, it's a, and I'm it's a actually going to go, I'm going to take a step back. My memory even, and I'm going to have to go back and look at these numbers, and, and I, to all Jazz fans, I sincerely apologize if I'm wrong on this, but I remember hosting talk shows about it, and some people might remember a Salt Lake Tribune article after the finals that involved me. Um, it wasn't that Carl wasn't scoring, and it wasn't, it was he wasn't shooting. I think if you go back and it, and I'd be I'd be curious to go back and rewatch those games because Carl had been such a dominant force in the NBA as a two-time MVP and so unstoppable that it was such an unthinkable thought that he couldn't even get shots off. John was having the same problem, but John was six-one, being guarded by six-six-five Ron Harper and by Scottie Pippen and by Jordan. And and I, my, I'll have to I, again. I, I'm going to apologize to all Jazz fans if I'm wrong on my memory on this. But if we go back through it, I think if you look at the final five minutes of Game Two and of Game Four of that series, which are the two key ones they lost. I mean, we'll all talk about Game Six shot, but those. Um, those are the those are the ones. I think if you go back and look at the final five minutes of those two close games, I don't think John got a shot off, and I don't know if Carl did. Well, David, we always appreciate it. Thanks for jumping on with us, man. We'll catch you next week. All right. Thank you, guys. Thank you, David. David Locke, radio voice of the Utah Jazz. We'll have a quick drop of the day coming up next, not Sports Report, at 5.50, and today should be a really fun one. So stay tuned, 97.5 and 1280 of the zone.